Hi. Spring break greetings to you all. Great to see every single one of you. Show of hands if you're fundamentally opposed to the government telling you they're going to take an hour of your sleep away from you. Yeah. Like, you should call it fling forward out of a cannon into a wall. Splat. Right? That's what it feels like. Right? Proud of you for making it here today. Way to go. This is already the third weekend of Lent. We're engaged in a spiritual workout of sorts through the series that we call XT, Cross Training. The aim is that our souls would be ready for Easter weekend. Is your soul ready for Easter weekend? Is your soul ready for the celebration of Jesus rising from the dead? Which, by the way, he did that for you. He died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead because he loves you. Because he longs, frankly, to live in relationship with you, not just in heaven someday, but starting right here, right now, today, and extending for all of eternity, which happens to include heaven. One of the most effective spiritual workouts we can do to prepare our souls for Easter, to prepare our souls for living on the mission of Christ, for preparing our souls for anything, really, is this thing called prayer, this tool called prayer that God gives us. And to start off today, I want to introduce you to a couple of friends of mine, Johnny and Chachi, and they have a few killer tips to a better prayer life. Watch this. Hi, I'm Johnny. And I'm Chachi. We're getting here ministries. You know, a lot of people come up to us and ask us hard questions about God and the Bible and spiritual living. And you know why a lot of those questions are softball questions for us? There are actually some pretty good ones. One of them being, how do I have a better prayer life? Well, good news, we got some killer tips to a better prayer life. Before we do that, though, let's start off with a title and some dance moves. We're not doing a title and a dance. Let's just kind of get into this. When you're saying a prayer in public, you want to use the phrase, Father God, as much as humanly possible. Just last week, I said a 30-second prayer and got 17 Father Gods in it. Now look, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying with a little bit of effort, it can be done. If you have a prayer request but don't actually want to request it, simply say, unspoken. I currently have six unspokens that I'm praying for this guy about. Johnny, sorry to bother you, but I actually have another prayer request. Okay. What? It's unspoken. (laughs) Okay, well that's seven. And while I have no clue what I'm praying about, someone does. Just no one human. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And well, we believe in the Bible. Chachi has been praying without ceasing for over 32 hours now. Chachi, how do you feel? What, who said what? Where where am I? (laughs) Well, Chachi, you have been praying for over 32 hours straight. You feel pretty good? Can I get a restroom break? (laughs) Not if you want to fully obey scripture. Let's say you become privy to some juicy information about someone, but don't want to be seen as a gossip. We've got good news. You're good to go if you put it in the form of a prayer request. I still cannot believe what Jill said to Keith. I can't believe it either, but did you know that John got canned? What? Are you... Let's talk about it in a prayer group. Some think your prayer position is irrelevant. 
But we have found that your prayer position can not only boost your prayer life, but can stretch you physically. Chachi, why don't you go ahead and show us some examples? Well, I wasn't really planning on praying, but I guess I could give it a shot. Okay. Oh, very nice. Good, that is classic. Wow. Seriously, wow. The last thing you do when you pray is fairly obvious. You say, Amen. And if you happen to be in a group of people holding hands, it's imperative that you accompany that Amen with a physical action known as the hand squeeze. The squeeze lets the people on either side of you know, hey, the prayer's over. I care about you, but I'm letting go now. And when you are holding hands, never interlock, because that can make your prayer partners a little uncomfortable. We want to thank you for watching, or shall I say, growing in your prayer life. Yeah, now can we do the, the title and dance moves? No, just kind of say thanks for watching. And That's seriously unreal. This is actually my miracle position. Did you learn something? On a much more serious note, would you, by show of hands, will you tell me if at some point in your life you felt guilty because you haven't prayed enough or more or better or more frequently? Show of hands if you felt some guilt. In the, yeah, tons. It's been that way in all three gatherings, by the way. Some guilt around the area of prayer. Now think about this. Where do you think that sense comes from, that sense of guilt that all is not as it should be, all is not as you'd like it to be when it comes to prayer. Where do you think that comes from? Think about that. Because I'm convinced that it really comes from a place of God trying to get our attention. God speaking to us from the depths of our souls, saying, come on, will you just be more prayerful? I honestly think God speaks to us all about our prayerlessness. Because what's true is God desires more than anything to meet with us via prayer. But altogether too often we don't ever stop and pray. Because why? What's our most common excuse? We're just too busy. That's it. We're just too busy. Number one excuse for why we don't pray more. It's just true. Right? I'm just so busy. Most of us are going like 90. We've got our hair on fire from before the sun comes up until way after the sun goes down. We have racehorse temperaments. It causes us to regularly feel these tugs of self-sufficiency, self-reliance. I can do this. I got this. I don't need anybody. We're Montanans for crying out loud. Around here, we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We don't need help. We just get it done. We just buck up and we just get it done. But what if Think about this with me. What if the full measure of everything that God wants to do in our hearts, in our world, will never show up until followers of Jesus Christ, you and I, get real serious about slowing down and praying? What if the full measure of everything that God wants to do in us, personally, in our world, globally, won't even show up until followers of Jesus Christ get real serious about slowing down and praying? There's this amazing promise in the Old Testament of the Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. You probably know this verse, many of you anyway. 
And God makes this promise to King Solomon specifically to and about the nation of Israel. Just so you know, this is not a prayer, this is not a promise about the United States of America. But check this out. Then if my people, this is God speaking to the nation of Israel through King Solomon, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. That was for the nation of Israel. But think about this. What if God wants to redirect that promise to us in this generation? What if? What if God wants to redirect that promise to us in this generation? Then if my people, what's it take for this promise to be redirected, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? And pray. Humble themselves and pray. It's not about your self-reliance. It's not about you being able to do it. It's about humbling ourselves and praying and seeking my face and turning from their wicked ways. That's the repentance deal, which we talked about last weekend. And what's God say? I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. What if God wants to redirect that to us today, this generation? I think about this, if you would. What kind of things do you think God might do if every single one of us made pressing in, and it is, it's a pressing in thing. What if we made pressing in with God via prayer a non-negotiable part of our everyday lives? What do you think that God might do? What do you think might happen? Well, hearts would soften for one thing. Habits would shift. Faith in God would swell inside of our hearts. God's heart itself would take over more and more and more of the real estate of our lives, wouldn't it? Our love for God, our love for people would expand. God-honoring legacies would be constructed. Most, though, of all, a hunger would grow inside of us to be used by God to go and tell, go and tell, go and tell his story. The redemption story, the salvation story. Hunger would grow inside of us to go and bring his kingdom, to live on the mission that Jesus came to show us how to live on every moment of every single day, from the moment that we kick our legs over the edge of the bed in the morning until the moment we crawl in between the sheets at the end of the day, every single day of our lives. What might God do? And I believe with my whole heart that that can happen. But it starts with us putting away the excuses and stepping off the self-reliance treadmills. Stop saying we're just so busy. Stop the madness and just become people who pray. Become people who pray. I want to show you a story today from the life of an incredibly busy man. Who even in the midst of being incredibly busy, even in the midst of being pulled in like a few hundred, maybe even a few thousand different directions, how he still stopped and prayed because it was just simply that important. Mark chapter 1 in your Bible, if you have one. If not, it'll be on the screen above my head. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 29. Let's pick up the story. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's Home. So here's what's in view. Jesus, it's the Sabbath day. He's been in the synagogue in a place called Capernaum. He's been astounding people with the authority of his teaching. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. Everyone there that day was in awe of him, everything he did, everything he said. And Jesus finishes a very long day at the synagogue. He leaves the pressing crowds in the rearview mirror, and they head for Simon and Andrew's house. 
Now, Simon is Peter, by the way. Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, and they go there, and we have no idea why they're going there. We don't get to see that. Was it a social call? Was it a little R&R thing? Was it a home-cooked meal they were in pursuit of? We don't know. But Jesus gets to Simon Peter's house, and instantly he's pressed back into service. Keep going in the text. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. Like the second he walks through the door, they're telling Jesus, look, we got a problem. So picture Jesus. He's walking through the door of the house. He's had a very busy day of casting out demons, preaching at the synagogue. He's probably thinking about food and some first century edition of a lazy boy or something. He wants to kick back. And instantly he walks through the doors. His disciples grab him. Jesus, so glad you came by. We got a problem. Come back here. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is terribly sick. Would you fix it? Would you fix it? And that kind of thing happens to all of us all the time, doesn't it? Maybe not exactly like that. We're not usually coming home from a day of preaching and casting out demons. Most of us, anyway. But we come home from work. We have work. We have long, hard, busy, exhausting days. People and stuff have been pressing in on us all day long. The phone's been ringing off the hook. The email machine is ding, 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 ding all day long. We've been grinding it out. We're tired. We're hungry. We're drained. We need a respite. We need rest. A few, just, have you ever said this? I just need a few minutes to put my feet up. Just a few minutes to put my feet up. And we sort of collapse across the threshold of the door to our home. And somebody, spouse, kid, relative, whatever, meets us at the door with some tidbit of news that is the last thing that we want or need to hear, right? There's all this other stuff now that requires your attention. So-and-so called and something's going to explode if you don't do this now. Little Johnny is downstairs in his room and you better go talk to him now. Doggone it, when are you going to fix the check engine light in the car, dear? On and on and on it goes. And it's like that for Jesus. It's just like that for Jesus. He's exhausted and look what happens. Here we go, Jesus. So what's he do? He goes to her bedside. Simon Peter's mother-in-law's bedside. He takes her by the hand. He helps her sit up, sort of picture that. The fever left her, and she prepared a meal for him. And that's like, bam, right? She's brand new. The proof that she's brand new is she gets up and whips up this big old meal. Not exactly the first thing we feel like doing after getting well, right? But she does. And the story goes on. That evening, watch this, after sunset, Many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. So that evening, when the sun goes down, that marks the conclusion of the Sabbath day, the day of rest, which, by the way, we'll be talking about in two weeks from now. Everybody knows where Jesus went. It's like they had spies, the paparazzi were following Jesus from the synagogue. They knew he's at Simon Peter's place. They managed to hold themselves back until the end of the Sabbath day, and then they come pounding at the doors of Peter's house. Why? They want more. More, 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 more. More of Jesus' healing, more of his forgiveness, more of his authoritative teaching, more, just come on, Jesus, like do your stuff, your magic Jesus stuff, it's cool. And Jesus obliges. He gives them some of what they want. He heals and teaches and casts out demons. Look at the text. The whole town, like this is not hyperbole, the whole town gathered at the door to watch, not an exaggeration. Get that scene in your head. 
So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons, but because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. And that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. So we're just going to like skip right off of that. So we picture Jesus carrying on this ministry very late into the night. Now he's really, really tired. That is one exhausting day. Put yourself in Jesus' Birkenstocks. And he falls into bed, we imagine. He's spent. And so we kind of picture he wants to have one of those days where he just sleeps in. He doesn't set any alarms, not worrying about having to get up the next day. Just rest. That's all he wants. Just rest. It's what he needs most, right? It's what he needs most, isn't it? Let's read the Bible and see what it says. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. Is that convicting to you? It's kind of convicting to me. Not kind of. It just is convicting to me. Jesus stays up real late serving God. He's tired. He's spent. He's had it. And in the face of all those human tendencies, which remember, he has. He's 100% God, absolutely, but he's also 100% man. So all those human tendencies to want to sleep in and do nothing and kick back, he pushes right back against those and he gets himself up before daybreak. And he's out the door. Why? To pray. He's up before daybreak, out the door to pray. And he's our model, folks. He's our model. He's our example. We ought be following in his footsteps. Let's spend a few minutes talking about the prayer deal. Jesus gets up before daybreak. He goes out to an isolated place to pray. By isolated, the Bible actually means a desert place. That would have described any of the geographic areas that surrounded the community of Capernaum. Jesus gets away from it all. He goes out to the desert, to the middle of nowhere. He gets away from the hustle and the bustle and the people, the pressing needs, the crazy demands. For the purpose, express purpose of praying. And Christians, we must do that. This is not optional for us. We must do that. We have to do that. It isn't like a, if I have time, when I get to it, when I'm not so busy, when the kids are older, when I don't have to work so much. No. We have to do that. We must be about that. It must be part of the fabric of our daily lives. And you hear Christians all the time talk about how they don't feel like they're growing They feel like they're very distant from God. They feel like God doesn't care. They feel all alone. They feel like God's not involved in their life. They're not seeing any fruit from any of the, quote, ministry that they're about. God's not showing up in the midst of any single thing they're doing. Everything about their spiritual life is like flatline on life support. And so you start to press around, press in with those people, and you ask some questions One as simple as, well, is there any time in any of your days where you're pulling away and you're being still and you're being quiet and you're praying and you're listening to God like Jesus did, Mark chapter 1, and they quickly answer, no, when am I going to do that? I don't have time to do it. When would I fit that in? I don't don't know. 
And the equation is crystal clear. And it's this simple. If you want to be a person, if you want to be a Christian who has a flat, ho-hum, non-growing, non-miracle-filled, non-fruitful, ordinary relationship with God, just keep ignoring God's tug on your heart to stop everything you're doing and go to an alone place and spend time with him in prayer. You want a mediocre, lukewarm, milk toast, weasel puke, Christian, I don't know what that is, I just heard someone say it a time or two. If you want that kind of a Christian life, just ignore the tug of God on your heart to pray. Just put it off, put it down, try to delete it. But if you want to engage in the fully orbed relationship that God intends for every single one of us who follows him, if you want his authority and his power and his strength flowing through your life via the power of his Holy Spirit, then you must, we must, follow the example of Jesus. You go. You stop everything. You shut the phone off, the computer off. Shut it all off. And you find that quiet, alone place with regularity and you press in with God in prayer just like Jesus did. And you do it today, and you do it tomorrow, and you do it the next day, and you do it the next day, and you just keep doing it. And sure, Jesus pulled off and he prayed, and we would love to know, wouldn't we, what that time was like. We would love to know exactly what Jesus did in that time with God. For example, how much time did he spend talking to God versus listening to God? How much time did Jesus spend thinking, meditating on the scriptures? Here's like the multi-million dollar question. Did Jesus journal? Everybody wants to know that. Did Jesus journal? Where is that journal if he journaled? Want that. We really want the formula, don't we? But there isn't a formula for spending time with God except go spend time with God. Go spend time with God. This really cool guy named G.K. Chesterton. He put a lighter interpretation on what Jesus did in his prayer time. He muses, did you ever think that Jesus went off by himself in order to laugh with his heavenly father? In other words, when Jesus couldn't take the kind of ridiculous expectations that his friends and followers kept making on him, that eventually he just had to go off and laugh with God just so he could keep his sanity. Right? What about that possibility? Have you thought about that? What if occasionally Jesus just pulled away and he went off and he just laughed. He had a laugh with God. We know that God has a fantastic sense of humor and that getting alone with him and laughing about the burdens of life can be a a burden-easing practice for our souls, can't it? What if part of your alone prayer time with God was like prayer laughter time? What if? Or what if on other days, you know those days when you need some like prayer crying time in the presence of God. And what we know is that God laughs with us. We also know God cries with us. We also know that God loves meeting with us in the midst of whatever it is we're facing because he loves us. And that time that you spend with God, it doesn't take a formula. There's no magic do this, one size fits all. No formula. Just go. Be quiet. Be still get away. And here's what's true about all of us, and it was true of Christ as well. We want that time, and we want that place where we go to get alone with God to be impenetrable, don't we? We want it to be like 
perfect, sacrosanct. No one, no thing can interrupt us. It's just you and God and your Bible. And just for the record, that kind of space, that kind of place does not exist. Doesn't exist for you, me, didn't exist for Jesus. Check it out. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. They went out to find him. Now, the word in the Greek for find him actually means they launched an urgent manhunt for Jesus. You sort of picture the disciples, of course, they slept in, didn't they? They dragged their carcasses out of bed at some nine o'clock in the morning or something, you know, and they're rubbing the sleep out of their eyes and they're like, looking around, where's Jesus? Hmm. And they didn't just like go around outside the house and, you know, look over there under the tree or something and go, ah, he'll be back. Uh Uh-uh, it wasn't like that. They were like issuing search and rescue maps, calling people together. Come on, they organized a literal search party. They turn over heaven and earth looking for Jesus Christ. And when they found him, look at what the Bible says. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. That's profound. Everyone is looking for you. They go, they launch a search party, they interrupt Jesus' alone time with God, they break into his prayer time with the Father, they find him, and they tell him this really stupid thing, everyone is looking for you. Who cares? You interrupt somebody's alone time with God to tell, like, really, who, everybody, who cares? So what? The disciples cared. They cared deeply. And the disciples cared because they had an agenda. Just like anyone who tracks you down, anybody who interrupts your alone time with God, they always and will forever have an agenda. In Jesus' case, here's their agenda. Watch this. They wanted Jesus to go back to Simon Peter's house and accommodate this sudden surge in his popularity that came because of last night's activities. Jesus, come on back here. These amazing things that you were doing last night, people are like clamoring for that. We're really riding a wave now, Jesus. Come on. Like, come on. The flywheel, it's spinning like crazy now. We're just going to put our shoulder more and more into that. Come on, Jesus, this is great. They might have been scripting that night's healing event, and they wanted to know which band they should book to accompany him, something like that. They interrupted Jesus' quiet alone time with God because they had an agenda, and people are going to do that with you always and forever. They're going to want to break in and break through, and what are you doing? Where are you? Where'd you go? And you've got to know how you're going to navigate that. How are you going to navigate that? And what's true is whether your prayer time gets interrupted or if you finish as you plan to, your and my very real challenge is is to remain in that same posture of prayer all day long. Just like we're out there all alone by ourselves, just us and God. How do you stay in that same posture of prayer? When the kids are screaming, when the dogs are barking, when the boss is barking, when the to-do list is shrieking. What are you going to do? How are you going to stay in a posture of prayer? Absolutely, alone prayer time with God is a must, but so too is carrying forward into the rest of your day that prayerful attitude. Because a prayerful attitude isn't tied to any particular time, any particular place. It's just constant. I'm just hearing from God, listening to God, interacting with God, sharing thoughts, processing emotions with God. It's just constant. And it's in the midst of our daily lives, no matter how busy, no matter how quiet. And the purpose of that is that God is shaping your heart. He's forming your soul in that interaction. 
your every single interaction. He's speaking into you at the level of your soul. God, what are you trying to teach me about that? God, what are you doing over there? Lord, what do you want me to say to that person? He's shaping our souls. He's directing our steps. And we carry that from the alone place into the rest of our day. No matter what's going on. And I want to show you that there is this explicit and an implicit piece to this narrative. Jesus obviously takes time away to pray to be refreshed with his heavenly father. That's the explicit part. The implicit bit is that Jesus, watch this, set aside that time of prayer to yield to the power of God. That's why he went. To yield his soul to the power of God so that the mission, we're going to talk about mission now, so that the mission that he was on would be fully empowered, fully fueled by God's power. Jesus did not want to operate in his own power. And that gets tricky to understand, doesn't it? Because he's 100% man, he's 100% God, absolutely. But he didn't want to operate in his own power. He needed to be infused with the power of God. He was infused with the power of God through his regular, ongoing prayer time with his heavenly Father. That works just the same for us. Jesus knew that in order for him to be fully involved, fully engaged in the mission that God had given him, He had to constantly live in a state of being yielded, being submitted to the power of God. And if that's true of Jesus, how much more true is it of us? We require it. If you want to live with laser focus, crystal clarity on the mission that God's given you, if you want to have the interactions with people that God wants you to have with people, you must live yielded to the power of God. You yield to the power of God in prayer. Mark one narrative, the explicit piece is pray. Make time, make space, go pray. Jesus did it, so should we. The implicit point is that in prayer, we yield our lives to the power of God. That then energizes us on the mission that God made us for. God transforms our hearts first And second, he sends us out. Go live this. Go tell the redemption story. Share the salvation story. Go, go, go. Tell, tell, tell. Jesus' primary purpose for pulling away and praying wasn't just rest and relaxation after a hectic day of healings and exorcisms. He pulled away so that he could center himself in God. He pulled away so that he could be filled with the power, filled with the guidance of God, so that he could live everything about his life laser-focused on the mission God had called him to be about. No distractions, no ulterior motives, with crystal clarity on the mission that God gave him. So picture, the disciples are saying what? Everyone's looking for you. Come on back. Let's build a monument to everything cool that you're doing last night. We're going to ride this wave, Jesus. And here's Jesus' reply. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. It's not just about Capernaum, boys. That is why I came, Jesus said. So we traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. 
Jesus, see, he was fueled by the directives that he'd received from God in that prayer time. And he says, guys, we're moving on. We're sharing the good news. We're sharing the gospel that the kingdom of God is at hand. Anyone who wants to come in can come in. All the preliminaries have been taken care of. All the walls have been torn down. All the barriers have been removed. Anybody who wants to live inside the kingdom of God can come in. That was the message that Jesus preached. And he preached it again and again and again and again. And he shared it with a wider and wider and wider audience. It wasn't just about one place. It wasn't just about one town. It wasn't just about one family. It was about the whole world. You can all, all come in, Jesus said. A guy named John Stroman wrote something that runs cross-grain for us. This might be somewhat disruptive to a way that you've thought in the past. I want to change it up with you today. He writes these words. Burnout, listen carefully, is not the result of too much activity. Ah, that's cross-grain, isn't it? Most of us think when we've danced around on the edge of burnout or when we've fallen off the cliff of burnout, we think it's the result of too much activity. I just gotta slow down, I just gotta slow down, I just gotta slow down, I just gotta do fewer and fewer and fewer things, right? Stroman says burnout is not the result of too much activity, it is the result of the wrong kind of activity. Burnout is the result of the wrong kind of activity. And Jesus knows that. He's all in with that. A whole bunch of us who follow Jesus, we don't know that. At least we don't all live that. Jesus did, he does. That translated to him living 100% laser focused on the right activities. He was always in the right place at the right time. His mission was always crystal clear. Preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to as many people as possible. Jesus was going to fulfill that mission. Nothing was going to stop him. But he didn't just get that kind of crystal clarity about his mission out of thin air. He didn't just manufacture it. He got it out of the time that he spent on his knees in prayer with God in moments like we read about in Mark chapter 1. He heard from his heavenly father. We, followers of Jesus Christ, can and should be doing the exact same thing. Not just bumbling and stumbling, trying to find our way. Is this the right thing? Is that the right thing? I'll try this. Busy, 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 busy. It starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. It starts with prayer on our knees. God, what is it? Where is it? How is it? With whom is it? And here's what happens when we prayerfully follow Jesus, relying on him, relying on God for his instruction about the mission that he calls us to be on because we're all to be on mission, right? Following Jesus isn't about going to church one day a week, being in a Bible study. That's not it. It's living on the mission of Christ. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And when we rely on him for the instructions to the mission, number one, we avoid burnout. We're not like a bunch of wrung out dishcloths. We're sharp. We're laser focused. We're doing the right things, the thing that God intended for us to do. We avoid burnout. It's not even on the map because we're living in the sweet spot that God made us for. We avoid burnout when we follow Jesus' instruction. 
when we're on our knees, prayerfully asking him for next steps, we avoid burnout. Second thing that happens is we leverage our time. And we leverage it for what it's supposed to be used for. Remember this, folks. We get one lap, a single lap around the track of life. Don't get a couple, no warm-ups. We get one And when we're reliant on Jesus for his instruction about our mission, we leverage our time for what it's supposed to be used for. Your life has purpose then. Your life has meaning then. Your life has laser focus then. The kind that Jesus intends for all of us to have. No wondering. No guessing games. It really is quite like two sides of the same coin. On one side, you have prayer and meditation and hearing from God and God's stuff infusing our souls. The other side of the coin is this thing called mission. Go, do, serve. One side is the reflection, the meditation, the seeking the will of God. The other side is the ministry, the action, the living on the mission of Christ that we're all supposed to be about. And it is this Life becomes then this cyclical practice of reflection. I'm on my knees with God, hearing from him. He's changing me. And then I act. I go and I serve and I give and I respond. It's Jesus' model. He sets the example and we carry it out. Two sides of the same coin. Prayer Mission, prayer, mission, prayer, mission. And here's what's true beyond the shadow of any doubt whatsoever is that Jesus Christ, God himself, has called you and I to lock arms with him in fixing this broken world. That's why we're here. God says, come on, I want you to come with me. And we're going to partner together in this epic struggle of bringing what's going on in heaven right down here to planet earth. It's the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. May what's going on up there come down here. And God says, you, all of you, you lock arms with me, you partner with me, and we're going. We're going to get about that. And we're going to be about that. And you look around this world and you see the level of brokenness and you see the level of pain as we partner with God in bringing his kingdom. And it, it, it's astounding, isn't it? Anybody with eyes to see whatsoever, anybody with ears to hear whatsoever, just looks around at this mess. And it's almost overwhelming, isn't it? It's almost overwhelming. The level of depravity, the disease, the corruption, the greed the complete disintegration of the family structure, the abuse, and I could go on for a very long time. On and on and on. And anybody who's paying attention whatsoever or we're partnered with God, we look around and we see that and it just ruins us. Just guts us. If it doesn't, it should. And what's also true is in the face of all of that, for we who follow Jesus, we live, or at least we're supposed to live, in the very presence of God himself. The presence of God himself. 
And folks, if ever there was a time when the church needed to be on our knees before God in prayer, it is right now. Now. And it's everything that Jesus himself did. He sets the model. Sets the example. He wakes up early. He goes off to a quiet, alone place, and he prays. And he says, God, will you give me your eyes? Will you give me your ears? Will you give me your mind to think your thoughts? That's the prayer side of the coin. And then the other side of the coin, he says, God, would you guide me to the people that you want me to bring your kingdom to, that you want me to bring your salvation story, the redemption story to? Prayer on one side, mission on the other. Prayer on one side, mission on the other. Two sides of the same coin, prayer and mission. Prayer and mission. Jesus says, come on. Come on. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would. And I just invite you to get alone and quiet. And I know this is a room full of people right now, but I'm going to ask you to create that quiet, alone, just you and God space like Jesus did. And we're going to do it right here and we're going to do it right now. And in the prayer side, on the prayer side of the coin, I'm going to ask you to pray to God and ask him to give you his eyes and to give you his ears and to give you his mind. Just ask that of him. Create the space, clear your mind, all the stuff from last week, dump it out the pressure of the week that's coming set it aside God I want your eyes ask him God I want your ears ask him God would you please give me your mind I want to think your thoughts God ask him I'm going to ask you to flip over that imaginary coin and get over to the mission side. You just spend some time on the prayer side, you and God. God, I want your eyes, I want your ears, I want your mind, please. Now flip it over to the mission side. 
and ask God to guide you step by step, moment by moment, to the people he has for you to bring the kingdom to. Who does God want you to go to, go to? Who does God want you to tell the salvation story to? Ask him to give you very, very specific marching orders, you could call them. God, what's your assignment for me? God, we thank you from the depths of our souls for speaking to us with such clarity, for responding when we ask. You're a good and gracious and loving Heavenly Father, and you desire to answer us. And so, God, I pray for us that we would be people who live both sides of that coin. That it would start always and forever on the prayer side. God, will you do what only you can do in me? Will you give me your eyes to see what you would have me to see? Your ears to hear what you would have me to hear? Your heart to feel what you would have me to feel? your mind to think what you would have me to think. God, may it start there for all of us every single day, alone, quiet, still before you. And then God, help us to flip that coin over and ask you the question, God, who do you have for me today? What's my assignment today? Where and who and how and what, God, do you want me to say? How do you want me to think about that situation? How can I bring, God, your redemption and your healing and your restoration, your renewal? How, God, can I bring your life into every single interaction I have with anyone today? And then, God, help us go walk that out. Walk it out in power. Walk it out in unity. Walk it out with boldness. We're not ashamed. We're not reluctant. We're candid and we're honest and we're heartfelt and we're sincere and we're truthful. God, send us on your mission. Help us follow the model of you, Jesus. We're yours. And we're so grateful to you, God, for every single thing. For that last breath that we took that sustains our life, we give thanks. And we give thanks to you, O oh God, 
our King, our Maker, our Redeemer, and our Friend. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Sin Bearer, the One who is risen and lives, and everyone agreed and said.